just want to thank you, Joshua, just for leading our hearts this morning in worship. Just really encouraged by uh, just your joy and uh, just leading our hearts to exalt Christ and to make much of the Lord. And so that continues on this morning, just in our desire to see Christ in the Word, to see Him high and lifted up, to see Him exalted and magnified, and just that in His grace He would draw hearts to Him and cause us to look uh, to the cross and to draw us deeper into the understanding of the cross. And just to set our hearts uh, aflame. And uh, in light of that, this is Missions Month. You know? and we'll see this morning later. Mi- ultimately, missions revolves around the cross. But this is Missions Month. And uh, we're, we took an offering a couple weeks ago. just wanted to commend you again. Thank you for your generous hearts giving to the Lord in that manner. And the Lord will use uh, those funds for His glory, for the preaching of the gospel and the furtherance of the gospel. And so, uh, in light of Missions Month, especially this morning, I want to focus, want to focus on the gospel. And uh, even before we begin, I just have three things that I'd like to uh, accomplish this morning. First thing I'm going to do this morning is uh, I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm just going to preach the gospel to you. I'm going to preach the gospel because uh, the gospel is what ignites our hearts. And as we Remindful of last week, uh, the gospel is not for unbelievers, right? And the gospel is not for new believers, but the gospel is for all believers. And we, we preach the gospel to the unbeliever so that he will join us in, in surrounding the cross and exalting Christ and rejoicing in the grace of the gospel, right? And so we... I want to do that to you. I'm going to preach the gospel to all of you this morning. And if by chance you are an unbeliever this morning, if you're here and you don't know the gospel, by God's grace you'll hear the gospel and you'll believe. But the gospel is not for you. The gospel is for the believer. The gospel is for us. We're here to worship Christ and exalt Him because of the gospel. So I'm going to preach the gospel this morning. And then secondly, I'm going to preach the gospel to you because that is what missions is about and that is what you're going to be doing. You're going to be preaching the gospel. Whether you're uh, going to Mexico, whether you're going to the Czech Republic, whether you're doing overseas team, whether you're crossing uh, seas, whether you're crossing borders, you're crossing streets, your ministry is the gospel. And whether you're the main preacher or uh, you're a support role or, or you're staying here and you're just giving, your ministry still it's the gospel. It's gospel ministry. And so I want to preach this morning the gospel in a unique way. I want to preach the gospel to you in such a way that places all the focus on the exaltation of Christ and realigns our understanding of God's purpose in saving sinners. That's my second goal. And then thirdly, in light of all that, I want to either change if necessary or rekindle the reason that you need to do missions, that we as a church need to do missions. What is our purpose? What is our priority? Why are we doing missions? Why do we preach the gospel? So, let me pray. God, we praise you again and we thank you that you have redeemed us from every lawless deed and you have purified for yourself a people for your own possession, to be zealous for good deeds, to be zealous for your glory, to be zealous for your exaltation. And so, Lord, again I pray, would you undo us with the gospel? Would you allow us to understand even more and more the the law of liberty? Christ's exaltation brings forth our salvation but to understand that our salvation is for His exaltation. And so, Lord, my heart is is weak and it's immature and it doesn't comprehend the gospel as it should. And Lord, I pray that You would undo my heart and that corporately as a church, Lord, knowing that maturity is simply the gospel going from the peripherals to the central. And that is our understanding of the gospel that will enable us and cause us to want to live for Your glory. It is our deeper understanding of the gospel and all that is accomplished on the cross that will help us deal a death blow to our sin. And so, Lord, let us understand the gospel this morning. Let our hearts be encouraged. 
And may you be exalted in your name we pray. Amen. If you would open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And I'll read, beginning in verse 27. Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. And others were saying, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world, and the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. Now this morning, we could spend much time in 27 through uh, 34 and even end on. But this morning, we're just going to focus on verse 32. Christ says, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. The ambition of Christ is to draw all men to himself. And he, he says it as an act of volition. This is his will. This is his desire. And if he will be lifted up, he says, then he will draw all men to himself. Now first I want you to note what Christ said immediately before this statement in verse 31. He says, now judgment is upon this world, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Now at the time of this statement, Christ tells us here that Satan has been ruling the world. 2 Corinthians 4 tells us that he is the, Satan is the god of this world. Ephesians 2 says he's the prince of the power of the air. But Satan, at this place, he is the ruler of the world. Now, God, in his sovereignty, we understand, he's extended authority. He's extended this power to Satan. He's given this power to Satan, allowing him to do this. And we understand that Satan's desire was and and simply is to be exalted above all else. Satan wants to be exalted. He wants to be worshipped. And we see that even in uh, Matthew 4, where Satan labors and he he tries to manipulate, he tries to connive to get Christ to bow down and worship him, to pay homage to Satan. And well, Satan's attempt is in futility. And here Christ says that Satan, the ruler of this world, he's going to be cast down. He will be thrown down from his lofty position. Like Jezebel, he's going to be chucked out the window head first down to the pavement below. He's going to be destroyed. But how is Satan, how is Satan going to be cast down? How is Satan cast down? How is the ruler of this world thrown down? Verse 32 tells us, through the cross. Through the cross. Christ's exaltation will become Satan's denigration. Christ's exaltation will become Satan's denigration. So verse 32 tells us that Christ's exaltation is going to result in two things. It will cast Satan down and it will draw sinners. It will draw men to Jesus. Now John tells us in the next verse in 33, but he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. So John tells us that not all the probably original hearers understood exactly what Christ was saying. And so John, he has to explain. Holy Spirit gives him illumination. He understands. He was saying this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. So what does Christ mean when he refers to being lifted up? John tells us he means that he's going to be, he's going to be crucified. He's going to be pierced. But I would argue this morning that Christ is speaking more of simply dying on a cross. I think that we'll see from this text this morning that the cross is a premier action that will lead to a preeminent result. Christ says, if I be lifted up, that is, if I die on the cross, something radical is going to happen. That I'm going to draw all men to myself. Now the word draw, 
The word draw means to attract towards, to, to pull into, to engage. And it has the idea here of, of capturing the attention of those around, of pulling them to this incredible event. Right? But Christ doesn't mean He wants people to watch Him die on a cross. Right? Christ doesn't mean He wants people to watch Him die on a cross. Christ is speaking of the salvific effect His work on the cross is going to accomplish. You need to understand that this morning. He's not just talking about sinners watching Him die on a cross. He's talking about who He is and what He's going to accomplish on the cross. So what Christ intends through His exaltation on the cross is not simply to save people, but to save people who will worship Him. The cross is the means for Christ to be exalted, to be made much of, and to be worshipped. And that's all we're going to study this morning. Now before we continue, I want to say that Christ is not the only person that desires to be exalted. Christ is not the only person that desires to be worshipped and to be made much of. In fact, every person has this same desire. Every person has the same desire to draw all men to themselves. Each man and woman live their life scheming and planning on how to draw all men to themselves. We understand, if we evaluate our own hearts this morning, we know that all of us, what is pride? Pride is the desire to, to exalt ourselves to a status that doesn't belong to us. And that manifests itself in, in conjuring and thinking up ways where we can cause others to want to make much of us and to look to us. John Calvin said that the, the heart is a, it's an idol factory. And I would argue that the greatest idol that men put out is their, is their own ego. They put that idol out, not just for their sake, but for others to, to look at it and to look at it and to worship it. Maybe for some, I could go down the list, for some, you know, it's, it's working out. It's, it's the physical appearance. It's big muscles. Maybe for women, it's, it's slender physique. Or it's the showing off of, of the flesh to get people to look at them. Maybe it's uh, musical talent and musical abilities. You, you, you strive and you play and you practice all these hours and yet driving all this is ultimately pride. Or maybe it's your intellect where you have an incredible mind and you understand math and, and science and you're able to, to study to great depths and yet behind this heart is this, this desire that people would make much of you. And the list goes on and, and on and on and it doesn't stop. And that's simply what manifestation of pride is. It's this platform upon which we stand where others would be beneath us and we would be above them. The majority of mankind cannot find happiness unless they have others thinking about them and wanting to be with them or like them. In fact, even the believer, we understand, has to wrestle against this. Where godly ambitions, where things that are, are pure and right can become tainted with an impure heart. So I'm talking about everything from serving to preaching, from everything to going across the seas to going across rivers. We can quickly take our spiritual endeavors and make them a showcase for ourselves. Because there is a desire in man, and especially in the believer which we're fighting, where we want to be exalted. There's not a man or woman in this room who is exempt from the corruption of the heart and from the sinful desire to be exalted above others. All men have this desire, but only one man's desire to want to be exalted is, is pure. Only one man's desire to want to be exalted and magnified and to be looked at is holy and righteous. And that's Christ. Why must Christ be worshipped? Why must Christ be exalted? Because He's God. Because He's Lord. Because He's Savior. And this text this morning is about salvation. It's about Christ saying that if He be lifted up, He will draw. That is, He will be exalted. And for us, it means that He will save. So from this point, the I want to I propose a question. What does it mean to be saved? 
What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be saved? To take the eyes of self-centered men and women off of themselves and to put them on Christ. That's what it means to be saved. The death blow to man-centeredness comes from the life-giving cross. To be cross-centered, to be Christ-centered, that's what it means to be saved. So apart from the cross, nobody is is God-centered. Apart from the cross, nobody loves the Gospel. And nobody loves God. And so you get saved by the cross coming on the scene and unfolding to us God's glory, our sinfulness, and God's mercy. And so what it means to be saved is to have our eyes taken off of ourselves and placed upon the God-man, Jesus Christ, and to worship Him and exalt Him. That's what salvation is. To be saved from hell, then, is only a consequence to salvation. Christ saved us from His Father's wrath, which was prepared to be unleashed against us. We loved the creature rather than the Creator. We loved ourselves and loathed God, so God was prepared to judge us. He was prepared to pour out His righteous wrath upon us and to cause us to pay our fiery debt for our infinite offenses. But this is the Gospel. But instead, instead, John 3.16, instead God sent His Son. Instead, 2 Corinthians 5.21, that Christ became sin. Christ came into the world to save sinners, 1 Timothy 1.15. He bore our sins in His body on the cross. So we understand that Jesus died to save sinners. But there's something greater, something more magnificent going on in the Gospel than merely saving sinners for sinners' sake. Christ reveals the heart of the Gospel this morning here in John 12.32. If we would look closely at what Christ is saying, we would be more astonished. We would be more undone. A crucified person would hardly draw people to themselves. A crucified person would hardly cause people to cry out, My hero! My Savior! My Lord! The Jews considered any man who hung on a tree, he was cursed. He was damned. And the Gentiles considered any man hung on a cross as the scum of the earth, as the lowest of low. No, the cross was not a podium for glory. It was a platform for shame. It was meant to crush not only the body, but the human spirit. It was meant to bring about not only the most excruciating physical pain, but also the most traumatizing torment of the soul. And Christ has the audacity to say that if He is crucified, He will draw people to Himself. He will dazzle people. But we understand what he's saying is, if he be lifted up from the earth, if he is crucified, if he is pierced through far transgressions, then he will be worshipped. Instead of the cross being a repellent, Christ says it will become an irresistible magnet to the hearts and minds of men. So in John 12:32, our Lord prophesied that if He be lifted up on the cross, He would draw all men to Himself. He would cause the eyes of the world to look to Him to be saved. But look back at the text here. We have a future tense verb. Christ tells us that if He be lifted up, the result will be drawing men to Himself. At this place, at this point, He hasn't been crucified yet. He's not hanging on the tree. But when did this begin? When did He begin drawing men to Himself? It began as He hung on the cross, naked as God's wrath was poured out on Him. Many came and watched. Many scoffed, mocked, cursed. Others wept and beat their chests at the horrible sight. But some, even of those who crucified, saw that Christ was not an insurrectionist. Christ was not attempting to steal the power of the Pharisees. That Christ was not attempting to steal the glory of Pilate. And so, as men immediately watched Christ die, when they saw the way He died, they said, truly, this man is the Son of God. As soon as Christ was lifted up on the cross, He began drawing men to Himself. 
And since that time, millions of men and women have been and are being drawn to the cross of Christ. Friends, the cross of Christ, if we would understand this morning what was accomplished there, we would comprehend that the gospel tells us that if hell was a cross, we would hang there forever. If hell was a cross, we would hang there forever. Hell, the cross was hell for Christ. He paid our eternal condemnation. And what we see here in Christ hanging and enduring the wrath of God, and not just enduring, because all sinners will endure the wrath of God, but He completed the wrath of God. Christ in His infinite righteousness was able to extinguish God's infinite displeasure at sin. And so we now, we look at the cross and we worship Christ because we know the Gospel says, if, if, if hell was a cross, I would hang there forever. I would pay for my sin. But Christ, He bore our sins in His body on the cross that we might be free from condemnation. So we're worshiping this morning and all of our worship is the outflow of saying there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is no condemnation. There is no wrath for those who come to understand that Christ's exaltation brings about our salvation. The cross declares the greatness of Christ and it shatters our self-centered gospel by proclaiming that our salvation is for Christ's exaltation. Our salvation is for Christ's exaltation. There is only one man whose motives are pure in seeking to draw the hearts and affections of others to himself. There is only one man who is pure in heart when he wants others to worship him and call him Lord and Master. There is only one man who is pure in heart when he demands that others serve him and pray to him and offer up all they have for him. Only one man is pure in heart when he he demands all of our time and all of our affections and all of our finances to be directed towards him. When he can organize a body of men and women who gather together in secret or in public and sing songs and, and break bread in remembrance of him. Only one man is pure in heart while making himself equal with God. Only one man can have an entire book devoted to making worshipers out of every man and not be a megalomaniac. And all that has been proven by the infinite humility of the cross. That infinite glory became infinite humility. And He he bore our sin. The lowliest event that has happened was the result of the highest God coming down. But the lowliest event that has ever happened has resulted in the highest praise and glory possible so that for all of eternity, saints will declare that our salvation is for His exaltation. Now, if you think I'm trying to squeeze this out of this verse, I can understand that. Going too far, perhaps. So let me go to uh, texts that make this very, very clear. I'll just read them to you. Philippians 2. 9 through 11. For this reason also, which is the reason of the cross, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The cross becomes the means by which Christ will draw the hearts and minds of every single person. The question might come arise, arise, well, how can Christ draw all men? Are all men going to be saved? No. Philippians 2 tells us that. Not all men will be saved. In this life, men will be saved when they look upon the cross and they acknowledge that Christ, who is holy and pure, paid for our sin. But in eternity, every being, every man and woman will bow before Christ and confess that He is Lord and confess that He is God. Why? Because of the cross. Because of the cross. Same thing in 2 Thessalonians 1.10. won't read around it, but I'll just quickly read the verse. When He comes to be glorified in His saints on that day, and to be marveled at, at a, among all who have believed. To be marveled among all who have believed. 
He's going to come and He's going to be glorified. And men and women are going to marvel at Him. Why? When He returns, there will be some who will cry out for rocks. They will cry out for mountains to fall. But the believer will marvel. He will exalt Christ. Why? Because of the cross. Because of the cross. Titus 2.14 Who gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession, zealous for good deeds. That's a powerful verse. Not merely to redeem us and free us from condemnation. That's only the first half. But the main purpose Christ redeemed us, He delivered Himself up, was to purify for Himself a people for His own possession. For His namesake. For His exaltation. For His glory. The cross, at the center of the cross, is the exaltation of Christ. Not the salvation of men. Revelation 5, 11-12 says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb. But it doesn't end there. Worthy is the Lamb that what? That was slain. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Our salvation is for Christ's exaltation. Our salvation is for Christ's exaltation. Now let me segue just for a moment and explain how this deals a death blow to justification by works. The cross declares that no one can be saved by works. To be saved by works is simply this. It is to say and to stand before God and to say, God, you must acknowledge that there there is some righteousness in me. Maybe not very much, but there is enough righteousness in me that demands that you look at me and you be pleased and thus be accepting of me into your kingdom, accepting of me as righteous because of what I've done. So in essence, when a person thinks he's justified by works, he's, he's saying to God or he's saying to Christ, Christ, look at me. Take your eyes off of yourself. Stop seeking to draw men to yourself. But look at me because of my righteousness, because of, because of my good works. But the cross of Christ, it deals a death blow to justification by works because it announces to us that there is nothing that the sinner can do to be righteous before a holy God. And so the cross deals a death blow to our works righteousness. And not just at salvation, but every day. Every day as we wrestle with trying to do good works and thinking that God is pleased or displeased because of what we do. So it's, it's His grace now to understand this. It deals a death blow to the guilt that the believer experiences. Instead of believing and trusting in the sufficiency of Christ, he attempts works righteousness to please God. But in essence, it's pride saying, God, look at me. Be pleased with me because of what I do. Or be displeased with me because of what I don't do. But the gospel says God only looks at Christ. He only looks at Christ. And therefore, God will only look at you and see you as righteous, not because of what you've done, but because of what you've believed. That Christ's exaltation brings your salvation. Justification by faith understands that the one who can save is the one who gets exalted. And this is why you're here this morning. Because Christ has saved you. Because Christ has done it all. Because Christ has paid for every last drop, every last ounce of your sin. And you've come to worship Him. You are a group of men and women who have been saved from yourselves. Your eyes have been lifted up to see Christ on the cross. To see Christ resurrected and ascended. The gospel has opened your eyes and turned you from your own self-exaltation to the rightful exaltation of Christ. So I would argue this morning, not argue, I would just, I would say with joy, that this, this church is a, a partial fulfillment of Christ's prophecy. Cornerstone Bible Church, and every local church, and all believers presently, 
they're, a, they're, a, they're proof of Christ's prophecy. They're a fulfillment of Christ's prophecy to draw men and women to himself. Cornerstone Bible Church is a group of men and women who have been gathered together, who are put together, glued together because of the cross, not because of anything else. So Christ prophesies, all men will be drawn to him. All peoples will worship him. But we know presently that not all men are worshiping Christ, right? Now this is how this message fits into Missions Month now. Not all men are worshiping Christ. Everybody at CBC plays a part in missions. Everybody at CBC plays a part in missions. So this is for all of us now. Now, for the rest of our time, what is missions? What is missions? I want to be a dead horse because this horse has been beaten many times. But John Piper, in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, he gets the point across for us. He says that missions exists because worship doesn't. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Now, for all of us who have read that or heard that before, it somewhat jolts us for a moment as we think about what it means. Missions exist because worship doesn't. We're accustomed to thinking that missions exist because there's no churches. There's no churches in a certain area. There's no gospel influence in a certain area. Or there's no believers in a certain area. And I would say that's somewhat true, but those are just simply applications. Piper sums up God's heart in the matter, missions exists because worship doesn't. And therefore, he places the focus not on missions, but on worship. And that phrase declares the reason for salvation, clearly summed up this way. Salvation exists for the purpose of worship. And I would say it to you clearly, Piper didn't make that up. He didn't make that up. He just got that from the text of Scripture. And John 12.32 tells that very thing for us. Salvation is exaltation. So where Christ is not exalted, where Christ is not worshipped, their men and women are not saved. So, the exaltation of Christ, bringing people to worship Christ, that is what will save people. The gospel message is what saves people from self-pity and depression. See, there's only one and will always be one solution to man's problems. Man's biggest problem is not he's a sinner on the way to hell. Man's biggest problem is his pride. It's his ego. It's he wants to be worshipped. And men and women are going to condemnation because they have been given everything, but they still refuse to thank and worship the God who gave it. Therefore, missions exist because worship doesn't. Salvation comes when Christ is preached and shown from the Scriptures who He really is and what He really does. He saves people from their sin by drawing hearts and minds to Him. And so this morning we see the heart of missions, the heart of evangelism is not the salvation of the lost. It's the exaltation of the cross. The heart of missions is not the salvation of the lost. It's the exaltation of the cross. So let me make this very applicational right now. Our, our goal, our, our, our task, our agenda in missions is simply to exalt Christ. It's simply to make much of Christ and magnify Him. And then He will do the work of saving. The best way that I've been able to illustrate this to my own heart anyway is this way. I want you to picture a beautiful, uh, I want you to picture this stunning, ornate column. And it's buried in the earth, deep in the earth. And attached to this column are millions of chains. They're going everywhere. They're going all out from all centers from this column, from this center. And attached to all these chains are what we would say are the unbelieving elect. These are the men and women whom God, before the foundation of the world, has chosen to believe the gospel. And this column is buried beneath the surface with these chains protruding everywhere, going everywhere, attached to these sinners. who are, They're sinners. They're pagans. They don't love God. They don't worship Christ. They don't love the gospel. They don't love church. They're pagans. But what happens is 
that pillar begins to be exalted. It begins to be lifted up. And it comes out of the earth. It comes out of the ground. And it begins to rise up into the surface. It begins to rise up into the air. And as it rises, what happens? All those chains that are connected to it, that were once loose, all of a sudden they're taut. They become tight. This pillar is being lifted up and those chains become tight. And as this pillar is lifted up, as Christ is lifted up, it begins drawing all these elect, it begins drawing the sinners to Christ. And the point is that as we lift up Christ, as we exalt Christ, as we preach a gospel that's not about sinners, but that it focuses on, on the glory of Christ, then Christ will draw people to Himself. Our goal, yes, we long to see people saved. We long to see people saved. But in missions, in in evangelism, what's our priority? It's to exalt Christ. To glorify Christ in our evangelism is done by exalting Christ and making much of Him. And Christ says, if I be lifted up, I will draw men to Myself. And from this text we can say, if we will lift Him up, He will draw sinners to Himself. He will make much of Himself. Our salvation then is the means. Christ's exaltation is the end. When the cross of Christ is exalted, then men and women can be saved, but not until then. Not until then. The Christ-centered gospel shows that all of man's sin and problems flow from one distinct sin, refusal to worship God. Men seek to crush God's glory. Christ lifts God's glory up. Men and women will be saved and will know they are saved when they are enabled with desire to do the exact opposite of what they have spent their entire lives doing, glorifying themselves and belittling God. Which leads to one more significant truth. Salvation and worship are almost, if not, synonymous. Salvation and worship are synonymous. The reason we need to be saved is because we have refused to worship. And the consequences of refusing to worship God, we know. Hell is not just a place where you go because you have done bad things. It's the place you go because you refuse to worship the God of creation. That's exactly what the Bible preaches in Romans 1. Men are under condemnation, not simply because they have done bad things. They're under condemnation because they've refused to worship God. And then they they make idols and they worship the creature rather than the creator. And it's the refusal to worship God that leads to all other debauchery and all other sin. So all other sin, you could simply say, is just an, an application and a manifestation of refusing to worship God. And so there's a sense where in some reality, the sinner, he gets what he wants. He does not want to worship God. He does not want to be in God's presence. And that's what hell is. It's the ultimate conclusion. It's the ultimate answer to people who don't want God and who will not worship God. So on the encouraging side, salvation is people who acknowledge who God is and come to God through the cross, and exalt God because of the cross, and worship God because of His mercy. And heaven is simply the abode, not for people who have done good things, but for people who love and now worship God. Salvation and worship are synonymous. Why don't you turn to Genesis 3 for a moment. Genesis 3. And look at Genesis 3, verse 5. And I would argue, here are the most deceitful words ever believed by a man, by a woman. Where Satan says, For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. I believe, as many do, that the real connection here between verses 5 and 6, and the heart behind this sin, is you will be like God. 
Nothing appealed to Eve more than this desire to be like God, which was a desire to be exalted. It was a desire to remove God from where He was and to become, if you will, equal with Him. To un-God God and to deify self. That was the heart and that still is the heart of all sin. And yet in this very chapter, what is the cure to all of this? The cure to all of this, Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium, the exaltation of Christ. The exaltation of Christ from the very beginning was God's plan to crush Satan, to crush our sin. His exaltation brings about our salvation, but our salvation is for His exaltation. Now this personally, and I, I speak for, not for myself, but for all of you, this is why Cornerstone brings us much joy. This is why being at this church brings us joy. Because men and women here, they love Christ. And they, they want to exalt Christ. Every one of us struggling with pride and with sinful desires to make much of ourselves. But week after week, we keep preaching the cross. Day after day, we, we go and we cry to God, help me understand the cross. And, and Sunday after Sunday, all of our worship, all of our songs, and, and the, the preaching of the Word, it all revolves around the cross. Because it's the cross that brings us joy. And it's the cross that, that unites us. Let me go back to that illustration of the pillar. That pillar is being exalted, right? And those unbelieving elect are drawn, and now that chain is taut, and they're being drawn to Christ. And not just at the moment of salvation, but I would argue for all of eternity, God is drawing us to Himself through that cross. But what's also happening? As, as the cross is being exalted and as sinners are being drawn, they're not just being drawn to Christ, but they're being drawn to one another. So we see that the cross, it's at the very center of all of our fellowship. It's at the very center of all of our love for one another. So that all of our ministry is what we say, it's gospel-centered ministry. And all of our joy, all the abundant joy that, that flows on Sunday mornings in our worship, in our, in our own quiet times and in, in small groups, all that fellowship and love for one another, it's only an application, it's, only, it's the manifestation of the cross of Christ being the center of our church. That's why fellowship at Cornerstone is encouraging. It's not just because we're so nice and just because we, we dress nice on Sundays. But all that we do is the result of the cross and all that we're able to do to one another and all the ways we're able to serve and all the ways we're able to love. All of that is the result of being drawn together because of the cross. So by God's grace, church, the fellowship we have this morning, it will pale in comparison to the fellowship we have next week. And it will pale in comparison to the fellowship that we have next month and, and next year. Because week after week, month after month, year after year, the cross, it's, it's growing us together. It's pulling us together. It's making our fellowship sweet and it's making Christ high. If anyone here, I speak to no one specific but to individuals now, if you're here this morning and you don't want to worship Christ, if your heart does not really love to worship Christ and to see Christ exalted above all, it's because you don't understand what salvation is. If you think that you're saved, if you think Christ has saved you, but you don't want to worship, and I don't just mean sometimes, all of us have that struggle, but if you see in your life a constant proof where you don't want to worship Christ, then I would, I, would, I would exhort you to examine your life. Because worship and salvation are synonymous. A man and woman wants to worship Christ who's been saved. If you are saved, you'll want to worship. That's why when people say they're believers and then they, they say, but I don't go to church, I don't need to go to church, then we would immediately say, are, are you really saved? 
Because a saved person, he wants to worship Christ. He wants to exalt Christ. He wants to make much of Christ. Does your heart resonate with the joy at Christ's motivation for missions this morning? As I ask us as a church, does your heart resonate with this? I believe as a church we do. Christ's main motivation in salvation had to be his own glory. And exaltation was first. Our salvation was second, but our salvation was for his exaltation. If Christ puts the sinner as the most important thing, then at that moment, Christ becomes an idolater. So Christ's own joy and own glory is manifest in the cross, and it is because of his desire to be worshipped that we can be saved. Just to illustrate this a little further. Salvation is synonymous being worshipped. I mean, uh, salvation and worship being synonymous, right? You can get anybody pretty much to tell you that they don't want to go to hell. We're going to go out and share the gospel, and there's people who do that. They say, do you want to go to hell? No, I don't want to go to hell. And you can get many people, 99% of people you ask, do you want to go to hell? No. But then you ask them, and you tell them the only way to get out of hell is to move from self-worship to worship of God, to worshiping Christ. And that 99% of people who said they don't want to go to hell will all of a sudden become 99% of people who would rather go to hell than worship Christ. The only means to be saved is to worship Christ. The unbeliever simply says, Christ is not worthy of exaltation. He doesn't satisfy me. Why would I worship and bow down before what I don't value? If He is the only way out of condemnation... I will remain there. So our goal in evangelism is not their salvation. It's Christ's exaltation. Salvation will come when we are faithful to exalt Christ. That we are saved to exalt Christ. That we are saved to worship Christ. That we are, we are saved by being drawn to Christ through the cross. So before I end, I'll ask you this morning. Are you exalting Christ? Is your life consumed with this agenda of our Lord? That the cross of Christ was Christ's means to make much of himself. And that the cross of Christ remain, remains the means for us to make much of him. Is that your agenda? Let me make this practical. Do you see your morning devotions, first of all, as a, as a time to worship? Do you see your morning, your morning devotions as a, as a time to worship? I see this in my own, my own heart struggles. Is I go to the Bible and I, I, I treat it as devotions. I, I know my heart's hard and I go to the Bible and I, and I, I read it and I, I do it for me, for spiritual power, for illumination. And yet, devotions, first of all, it's not about me. But I go to the Bible and I read the Word to see God. To, to see the Scriptures unfold who God is. Unfold God's character. Unfold God's glory. And it's then when I see who God is, that then I will want to worship. And we see that even in the Psalms and we read all the Psalms and we read all the man's struggles with oppression and depression and persecution and, and, and conflicts and affliction. And the answer over and over is God's exaltation. It's God's glory. And so I encourage you to go to the Bible not first for yourself. To go to devotions not first for you, but to go and read the Word and open it so that you will worship God. And as you exalt God, as you worship Christ, then your heart will be enabled to live a life that's pleasing to Him. It will be tenderized. In preaching the gospel this summer, let me encourage you to work hard, to think hard about preaching a Christ-centered gospel. Let me encourage you, as you go an OC team, you're preaching the gospel in English, or you're going to Mexico, that you would, you would think through, how can I preach the gospel in a way that focuses on Christ? explaining what Christ has done on the cross, explaining why Christ has done what He's done. If you preach the Christ-exalting gospel, 
He will draw the elect to himself. You just preach. He'll do the drawing. I thank the Lord this morning, again, for this church, for the way that the Lord is undoing us with the gospel. So I pray that for Missions Month, that God would use John 12.32 to provoke our hearts to a greater longing to worship Him personally and a greater longing to see unbelievers pulled to the cross through His exaltation. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the cross of Christ, which declares not our worth to you, not our value to you, not how much you treasure us, not how far you were willing to to go to bring us back to yourself, but it declares how far you will go to exalt and magnify your name and to glorify your name to such an extent that you would send your Son, your one and only Son, to take on our sin and our transgressions, our rebellion upon Himself. And yet in that tremendous passage where you have told the Son that the cross of Christ will result in infinite exaltation, where every knee will bow, where every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And for us, we add on Savior. He is our Lord and our Savior. That You have been lifted up to draw us to Yourself. That Your glory, Your desire for Your glory resulted in mercy to us. And we thank You. And we praise You. But Lord, I pray that this morning would not result in some sort of stale gospel, some sort of distant God who just does this and has no mercy. Lord, on the contrary, the cross shows such infinite mercy, such infinite grace. And yet, behind all of this, it is this mercy which causes us to worship you all the more. It is this infinite grace which causes us to say thank you and praise your name. So thank you again for your mercy. Thank you for the church, which is the result, the manifestation of your exaltation. pray these things in your name. Amen.